The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at republicen.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. This month and this season of the podcast are flying by. Buckle up, listeners. We have a great show for you today. Congresswoman Nancy Mace represents the 1st District of South Carolina. A former member of the South Carolina General Assembly, she grew up in Goose Creek and graduated magna cum laude from the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina where she was the school's first female to graduate from its Corps of Cadets in 1999. In 2004, she then earned a master's degree from the University of Georgia. With a business background in technology, PR and marketing, and commercial real estate prior to her election to the House of Representatives in 2020, she taps into these areas of expertise while negotiating outcomes beneficial to her district. We love her conservation spirit and applaud the work she's doing in her district to bring forces together on environmental issues of concern. A member of the Conservative Climate Solutions Caucus, she is going to be playing a pivotal role in future climate policy coming from Congress. So without further ado, listeners, my conversation with Congresswoman Nancy Mace. Welcome back, listeners. Very honored to be here in conversation today with two South Carolinians, Congresswoman Nancy Mace and also our own Bob Inglis. Welcome, both of you, to the show. And thank you for having us today. Absolutely. So I have to admit, I have only been to your district once, and it was way too long ago, so I need to get back. But I'm just curious, you know, in the when we look at um, climate change and some of the impacts. I know that flooding is a big issue um, in the first district. So what sort of, for our listeners who aren't familiar with um, the first district, what kind of things are you seeing? What what kind of flooding happens? Flooding is a major issue and it, it's a it's a byproduct of a couple of things. We have so many people that have moved to the low country that when you have that kind of disruption in the environment, the building, the development that happens, uh, the runoff literally uh, can contribute to flooding. And then sea level rise is obviously a contribution to that. It depends on what area you're talking about. If you're talking about the downtown Charleston area, you know, that the downtown Charleston was in part built on landfill. So not only do you have sea level rise, but you also have areas that were built on landfill. So they're sort of sinking down, right, over gradually over time. And so if it, we always joke, and it's a serious issue, but that if it, if it sprinkles, rains it floods and is the God's honest truth. And so um, it's an issue that's going to take a long time and a lot of money to invest in the right infrastructure to facilitate uh, solutions for the long term. Well, I know one thing that some opponents of climate action will say is that we can't afford to do it, that it costs too much, right? But I always feel like when I hear stories like this, we can't afford to not do anything about climate yeah. change because those costs are not going to go away and they're not going to go down. Right. And I think it too, it's really important. One of the things I learned in my first year in office is the disconnect between federal, state and local. When you have projects that you know are going to have an immediate positive effect, 
and you have uh, local funds, state funds matching federal funds, and then, then it makes a lot more sense because it's not just the federal government coming down and wasting tax dollars. This is an investment in the communities that are going to be most affected. And I think that's really the key to some of this is ensuring that there's a matching program for some of these, for some of these projects and that the local communities and municipalities and counties that they are equally invested in whatever project that it is. And that's an incentive and a motivating factor to being able to assemble funds because some of this costs tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases. And, and you know, like a district like mine, you, you know, because we're on beaches and salt water, our bridges are crumbling. And so to replace, for example, uh, the, the Wando Bridge, uh, you know, it costs a billion dollars. So all these things uh, have, a, have an impact. But we've, the key thing is that we've got to work together at every level of government to be the most effective and most responsible with taxpayer dollars and the investments that need to be made uh, to combat some of the climate issues that we have. So would you call the um, the Crab Bank Restoration Project an example of that, where you had local, state, and federal cooperation? Yeah. Well, the other thing, the second lesson I learned, too, is the lack of communication between federal, state, and local. And we, <laughs> when we heard about Crab Bank, and we're like, my God, why hasn't this been done yet? Uh, it was sort of silly. And then you learn that the, the stakeholders, whether there's environmentalists, uh, advocacy groups, wildlife groups, climate groups, the, the, the mayor's office, the town, the residents, the Army Corps of Engineers, and really the lack of communication. So what I see our office being is a connector, being able to connect the different stakeholders and get it done. In the case of Crab Bank, it took us about 12 weeks to facilitate all the meetings that needed to happen, to get our U.S. senators involved, and to get everybody on the same page, singing from the same sheet of music. And I personally, I took a personal interest in it because I met with each of the stakeholders really individually as well before I brought everybody together in a group and uh, worked collectively in that regard because I wanted the Army Corps to know, hey, I'm serious about this. There's no messing around that we're going to do the right thing. And, you know, oftentimes that one of my frustrations is with the federal government, no matter the agency, I'm not picking on the core, they've done a great job, particularly on Crab Bank, but the lack of communication between the stakeholders. And I'm working on another project with them and I'm like, hey, have you, have you talked to, you know, the local councils on this issue? You know, and so when you see that disconnect, it's like, let's just get everybody together and let's have a conversation and let's figure out where we all are. Let's figure out what, uh, what residents are feeling and, and let's find a way forward that isn't going to get stuck in bureaucracy and red tape and all the other challenges and on top of the environmental permitting and everything else that has to happen to funding issues let's work together. And that's been a really, one of the reasons we've been so successful on many of these issues, environment, climate, et cetera, is because we're forcing people to communicate and talk and getting everybody at the table to have that conversation together. And Chelsea, if I could just jump in and make sure the listeners understand how (laughs) remarkable it is to get that done in 12 weeks. That is I honestly really- thought you were going to say 12 years because yeah, that's what yeah. it would, that's- <laughs> Bob, how long had it been? How long had that, had that, has that project been in the hopper? It'd been, I, I don't know. It'd been a long time, but 12 I think, weeks I feel like for, it was like five or six years. 12 and weeks for a brand new member of Congress to yeah. get those folks together. That's pretty amazing. That's like warp speed for the federal government right there. Right? Yeah, we did in the first quarter and it was our first like big accomplishment and that motivated my staff too. So for me, it was incentive for my staff to say, oh my gosh, that you can make this happen. You can make a huge difference uh, and do it and then do it in, in a 
warp speed manner. I like that. Operate like operation warp speed, but doing it in a very quick manner. But when you're invested and you care and you communicate and you know how to get it done. And one of the other things I pride our office on is I treat it like a business. We're very metric driven. We're very much results driven to ensure that we are meeting the goals of the office and delivering results for everyone that we represent. Well, and I think that that communication part that you brought up is just so important in everything, right? So whether it's a really specific project or coming together on a bill, and we have a lot of people in Washington, D.C. who like to talk, but maybe not with each other, right? They're more talking You have people in D.C. who've never filed a bill, and you have people in D.C. who are never going to pass a bill um, and because they're angry and they're ineffective. And you know, I have, I have a very, 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 very conservative record. One of the most conservative voting records up here in Congress. At the same time, I passed four bills with the other side of the aisle in my first 13 months in office. And so you don't do that by stomping your feet and tweeting angry things to get your next TV interview or raise your next dollar. You do it by being an effective communicator, by, by caring about the issues and caring about getting results for your community. And so that's really important to me to say, hey, we have a difference of opinion, but the goal at the end of the day, of the day is the same. How we get there might differentiate. So where can we build consensus to, yeah. to come out with the same, to have the same outcome that we all want? Absolutely. And to that end, I think, you know, as you know, many young conservatives are really passionate about climate change. So mm-hmm. it used to be a little bit more lopsided, the issue of climate change. And, and when you look at, I have a couple of Gen Z um, teenagers. Well, I guess one's not mm-hmm. even a teenager anymore. Oh my gosh. Um, and they've been learning about climate change since they were five. Right. And so regardless of how they affiliate politically, that generation just cares so much. So what is your, like, how, what is your recommendation for how we continue to build and grow that group so that it is not just, you know, Gen Z, but then we're getting in the millennials and then we're going to pull We just need to have a, a broader consensus with conservatives. And I do think that Mr. Curtis's uh, caucus, his conservative caucus is a great start and a great venue for being able to talk, but we need people like you taking all those folks and bringing them together to have those conversations. Oh yeah. And when I talk to Gen Z and millennial Republicans, they vote on this issue. They care. And I represent a swing district uh, as very, it's deep purple. And these are issues that people on both sides of the aisle care about. And very much you've got to be good on environment and climate um, and clean energy in order to be, to be effective and do what your constituents want you to do. And I think that's really important understanding. That's why I want to be part of the original group that started the conservative climate caucus. These, these issues really matter to the younger generations and we don't want to turn the, our backs on those uh, young people. We want to bring them into the fold. We want to be a big tent. And when you apply conservative principles to climate, what you come out with is free market ideas. Um, and those things are, are the way forward. And I, think you, and I think that's a bipartisan way forward and a way for us to build consensus over the long run. Um, because Green New Deal is too far uh, on one side, but then, you know, drilling off the coast is too far on the other. And so where do we find that equilibrium? And one really good example that I have just from over the last week and a half with Ukraine happening, everyone's talking about Ukraine, but uh, Congressman Rokana, Democrat out of California, and I filed a, a, a bipartisan bill together to ban Russian oil and gas imports. But at the same time, uh, coming up with a report and a strategy to look at carbon neutral forms of energy, which are all of the above nuclear, wind and solar, et cetera, for example, the ones that people know more about. But um, but you saw that on both sides of the island. And, and so where there's a will, there's a way. 
And it's just, you know, reminding people that, that, that America wants us to work together and find the path forward. And, 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 and in that way, I was really proud of that, of that legislation we did last week. And uh, it was very effective in, in swaying the, the White House um, to make that decision. But at the same time, we've got to be doing all these other things, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the, at, all at the same time. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Thank you for that, Bill. By the way, I feel really passionate about about that issue. Um, My Mm -hmm. mom is from Latvia, so kind of grew up um, hearing the stories about the Russian Soviet aggressor. And so just to sort of watch everything unfold right now. And and I think that that has to have an impact, right? A um, a move like that. But what we don't want to see as people that are advocating for climate action is that the response is to just drill more, but instead to be using our uh, clean energy sources better and more efficiently. Absolutely. And maybe if you're going to do any imports until we're all on EVs, you know, maybe import from Canada, right? Yeah. Not incentivize, uh, not, not fund uh, Putin's bloody war. So, I mean, there, there are options out there and you've got to give people time to transition too. There are a lot of industries yeah. as I'm on transportation infrastructure. And, you know, I talked to a lot of aviators and they're trying to get to green fuels and green energy and, and fueling their airplanes and cars are the same way, but it's not going to happen overnight. And there are a lot of different factors. Lithium isn't the safest, cleanest environmental thing to mine to get to use in there. And so they're just, we've got to be thoughtful about it. Uh, we all, I think, want to paddle in the same direction, but we also need to have a ton of ideas and, and map out our best way forward. And this is incentive too, to have clean energy being uh, carbon neutral energy as well and green energy. So we're less dependent on foreign oil and gas sources. And that's better for ultimate end for the environment. And we're not funding Putin's wars, right? And so that's a win-win, but it's got to be over time too. So at the end of the month, probably actually around the time that this um, podcast is airing, the two of you uh-huh. will be uh, both appearing at the Citizens Climate Lobby um, conference, the conservative conference. And I'm wondering, I'm going to ask this to both of you actually, because I don't know what Bob plans to say. What is your message to those people attending um, the conference um, March 29th, 30th, I believe are the dates? I want to talk about a couple of the accomplishments that I've had on these issues as a Republican. I think it's really important to express as a conservative, these are the things that we have done and worked with Congress on across both sides of the aisle, because that pragmatic middle is where most of America is. And when I was a state lawmaker, the very first bill I ever filed was a, uh, a bill to ban offshore drilling. And I did that in like my fourth day in office. Um, and so I've been around this for a long time. And I, before I came to Congress, I had a 100% voting record with the conservation voters of South Carolina on these issues. And so when I got to Congress, I've kept that promise and then part of a legislation that would ban drilling off our shores. But also at the same time, you know, last March, I was one of eight Republicans that sponsored and voted for a bill to protect our Wilderness Act. And that would secure 800,000 acres across the country, federal parks, federal lands. It would also ban uh, drilling on federal lands and, uh, you know, uh, ensuring that we have the Trillion Trees Act, that it passes and we get Republicans on board and really also showing the ways to convince our colleagues how to do that. And when we're talking about beaches and beach renourishment, you know, Folly Beach, we've worked to secure funding to help with some of that and why these things are so important. Crab Bake, for example, and illustrating the data and the science behind how this is good. And the example that Crab Bank offers is not only is it going to be a wildlife habitat for these birds that migrate uh, every direction around the coast 
across the coast of South Carolina and beyond, but the, uh, the environmental impact when we have hurricanes, having a barrier right there uh, provides some value to people who live all along the coast in that area. And so there's so many, I think, factors in taking the example of being efficient with government that Republicans love. We took clean dredge, not, not toxic, but clean dredge from a location nearby. And rather than, you know, barging it miles and miles away somewhere else, we very effectively, we save taxpayer dollars by just, you know, piping it into Crab Bank. And so when you kind of show the economics of it, the job impact of it, uh, and then what it can do for the environment and for our wildlife, when you look at it from a pragmatic, common sense kind of perspective, that's where we win people over. And talking about some of that legislation, because one thing that Republicans, they don't want to see waste and they want to see efficient uses. And so Crab Bank is a really is a really amazing example of all of the above um, and providing a place to do bird watching, too. So it's a, now a tourist attraction. And I know that my local economy is built on the backs of tourism and we have clean water, clean air, clean environment, beautiful trees, clean um places for habitat to view and for tourists to see all that natural beauty, then that's going to, at the end of the day, support our economy. So there's just, I think it's a way of talking about these issues that's really important to you. And that's where I'll focus my, my, my words of wisdom. Bob? And what I'll be saying is, that, <laughs> you know, if you just heard that from Nancy Mace, that is the new and improved conservative response to climate change. That is the, (laughs) there there was a time back when I was in Congress, when we were in sort of the dark ages and in the tough times of the great recession, Mm -hmm. where people were disputing the obvious, you know, getting into arguments with thermometers. Um, It's not a good thing to argue with a thermometer um, or with a ruler or yardstick, you know, in Charleston Harbor. It's just not good to get in that argument. And so what I think we're just hearing, Chelsea, from Nancy, is this, uh, this approach that says, you bet conservatives can, can address this question. And it's people like Nancy Mace. It's people like John Curtis. It's Andrew Garbarino, who you had on your, the podcast recently. It's uh, Trey Hollingsworth. I could keep going. It's people in the House a lot of those tend to be younger members um, who are more with it on this thing, you know, realizing that they plan on living on the planet a little bit longer than some other folks and uh, they want some action. And uh, and they also can see that young conservatives want action on climate change. And so they're ready to lead that. And so that's, that's what I'll be talking about at the CCL conservative conference is that, Hey, good news folks. It's moving. My my first voter, my first uh, son to be old enough to vote, um, when he was casting about for who he was going to choose, he was like, you know, I just feel like the president needs to be somebody who's young enough to really care about climate change. So they're going to live long enough to feel the impacts that I'm going to feel. And then he felt like neither candidate was really fit that bill for him, <laughs> the, the age requirement for him. But um I appreciate that, Bob. And yes, we've all kind of been in these trenches for a while, and it is great to see new younger members in office because they're bringing that 
um, the knowledge, the science that they've learned in school or the understanding of the younger generation of voters. And these are serious voters, right? I think mm-hmm. young voters used to kind of get a bad rap, but these days- they're, they're, It's an issue, right? You, some, you have some voters that are one issue voters and that could be pro-life voters, pro-gun voters, and now we've got pro-climate you know, voters. And so uh, there are single issue voters and our younger generation is gonna be part of that uh, you know, as they, as they become, turn 18 and as they get older, it is very important to them. Well, thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, Breath of fresh air for sure. And um, I feel like I need to put going to Crab Bank on my bucket list of things to do. It's worth the boat ride. It's certainly uh, worth it. And it's a great experience. In fact, one of the last times I saw Bob, we took a boat out there together. It was pre, I think, uh, the pour of all the sand, um, but I've been back since. And it's just remarkable to know that uh, with his help, uh, that, uh, you know, we were able to get that done. So it was really remarkable. I think everyone come together on that deal. Well, thank you so much for your time and um, be safe in Eastern Europe. Thank you. Price spring is in the air, except that it's like 39 degrees at the time of recording. So the flowers are blooming, but I'm really cold. Are you ready for some baseball? Because opening day is around the corner. Okay, so I'm super ready for baseball because obviously spring, springtime is baseball time. Uh-huh. And my son's baseball team has already played a couple of games. Uh-huh. And But this is like that tricky part of the season where, you know, we're getting rain or whatever. So anytime there's a game up to the last minute, it could be canceled. Yeah. But that's all. That's the beginning of baseball season. I'm sure, like me. You've been to some professional, some MLB games where you had to bundle up and you just don't know this time of year. Oh, goodness. When I lived uh, up there next to you, when I was in Annapolis, I'd go to Camden Yards all the time in early games in April and sometimes early May. But if you went to a night game in the month of April, you best bring a bunny hug or a jacket, a toque or something because it is going to be cold. In the first week of the season, I remember sitting up watching Derek Lowe take a no-hitter into the ninth inning, and it was freezing, but nobody was leaving that stadium because we all wanted to see the no-hitter. Spoiler alert, the no-hitter did not happen, uh, but it was close. Wait, was that when Derek Lowe was playing for the Red Sox? It sure was, and he gave ah. up a duck snort down the third base line, and they couldn't throw the runner out at first, so he lost the no-hitter. It was either no outs or one out in the ninth, but it was the first week of the season. I was in the upper deck, left field side, and it was cold, very cold. Wow. I definitely watched that game. I don't think I was there, but I watched that game. I likewise almost saw Pedro Martinez throw a no-hitter against the Orioles. Sorry, O's fans. I did, it's too. So... <laughs> an afternoon, it, was in an afternoon, it was an afternoon game when I saw him almost throw. He had a no-hitter in the eighth is when he lost it. I was there for that one, too. That's so funny, Price. Our universes were overlapping even before we knew each other. We did not know that until we started talking the thread, the tie that binds us, and that is <laughs> baseball. It is almost opening day, and we are you know, closing this podcast like some of the outstanding Red Sox closers, and in my case, Braves closers. Um, and we're going to close it up here real quickly, especially because we got some winners to announce. But I want to say before we do that, some new members that we had sign up to join us at Republican.org. John C. in Ohio, Matt S. in New York, Daniel O. in North Carolina, Jeanette S. in Colorado, and Lisa P. in California. Thank you, thank you, thank you for standing with us. You can do so at Republican.org 
forward slash join. Please stand with us and join us. We need you. So, Chelsea Henderson, I had an announcement just there, our weekly announcement with our uh, you know our new members. We got another weekly announcement. We got some contest winners or a contest yeah. winner to announce. Just one price, one a week. Don't get the, the listeners too excited. Um, yes, so the question for those that forgot or didn't hear last week's episode was about, um, uh, I almost called him Senator, Mr. Bill Riley, former EPA administrator for the first President Bush, served that job all four years, was waiting in the wings to go in the Oval Office to talk to his boss about something um, EPA related, when out walked... And this was the question, whom, whoever this person was, Riley looked at his face and thought, oh, gosh, asked what he'd been talking about. This person told him and he's like, I'm going to save my conversation for another day. So it was the, the answer was Brett Scowcroft, who, for those mm. that don't remember, was the national security advisor. Yep. And also, if you don't remember, <laughs> the first President Bush presided over the first Iraq war. So. Probably not delivering great news to the president. And so Riley was like, yeah, I'm going to pick my battles. And now is not the time to go in there and have that conversation. And the person who got that answer correct and who was chosen from among our winning responses was Colin D. from Washington, D.C. So, Colin, if you're listening, $25 coming your way. Congratulations, entered to win our grand prize at the end of the season, which will be coming around midsummer. So you want to win easy 25 bucks just simply for listening. Guys, it is that easy. Uh, Republican.org forward slash, what do we call it? Forward, uh, Republican.org forward slash quiz, right? Quiz. Quiz. Yep, quiz. Yes. Quiz. Q-U-I-Z quiz. Go there and enter your answer. Folks, again, all it takes is seconds to punch in that answer and hit submit, and you could have 25 bucks heading your way and then be entered in the chance to win the grand prize at the end of the season. Guys, it is that simple. It's that simple. Except the part that's hard is that they don't know what the question is yet for this week, Price. So, so. <laughs> let, them, let them hear the question. I'm jumping right. ahead. I'm getting, I'm getting too excited by winners. I I know you're so excited because winning is fun, right? Who doesn't love to win? So um, you all just heard a conversation with Congresswoman Nancy Mace, obviously very passionate um, representative of the first district in South Carolina. And, um, you know, I'm going to give a little bit of a snowball this time because I feel like last week's was hard. So um, Congresswoman Mace talked at length about a particular project that she helped facilitate a resolution on shortly after coming into office. And Price, you and I have both worked on the Hill. Things happen at marathon pace, not sprint. So anytime somebody who's new can come in and get something done pretty quickly, and quickly we mean, you know, 12 weeks, 14 weeks, 16 weeks, like that's an accomplishment because sometimes it can take years to get your priorities done. So anyway, listeners, what was it? that she helped facilitate what is the project. Send us your answers of all the correct answers. And again, no one's given wrong answers yet this season price. So they're all pretty confident and good listeners, but we draw from among the winning answers and that 25 bucks can be yours. So there. Here's a non-helpful hint. I have been there. That's not going to help you at all, but I have been there to the place that the the answer to this week's question, but I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. The only hint I can say is we went on a field trip with her there last year. 
But that's not going to help you anymore, too, because you got to listen to the interview. Because <laughs> if you listen to the interview, you don't need to even go back and listen to previous episodes. So it really is that easy. Um, Chelsea, before we get out of here, real quick, I want to mention an event. Any folks of ours that are in the greater Indianapolis area, uh, coming up on Tuesday, April the 12th, we are partnering with the Indiana Conservative Alliance for Energy, Casey Crane, uh, spearheading this event. Uh, Cress is a co-sponsor. Obviously, we are a co-sponsor at Republican.org and also the Conservation Coalition. Uh, Bob Inglis is going to be there speaking uh, at this event called um, the Innovation Generation, Conservative Solutions for Clean Energy and Climate, Tuesday night, April the 12th from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, 7.15 p.m. at the District Tap in downtown Indianapolis. Uh, Bob will be one of three panelists. You can sign up online. You can go to the Facebook page. It's linked on our Republican.org Facebook page is, is, since we're a co-sponsor. It's free, open to the public, uh, but we'd love for you to register, and we would love for any of our listeners in the greater Indianapolis area to come out. It should be a great event on Tuesday evening, April the 2nd at 6 p.m., the District Tap. Again, Check out our Facebook page at Republican.org for the Eventbrite link. It is free. It is open to the public. We would love to see you there, especially any Republicans that are a member of our community listening. Bob would love to meet you. So we would love to have you come on out. And before we go any further, Chels, I want to let our listeners know also, download, listen, subscribe. Any place you listen to your podcast, you can subscribe and get the EcoRight Speak, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Spreaker, you name it, we are there. Uh, just search the Eco Right Speaks and hit the subscribe button. But we got to find out what's coming up next week and the weeks ahead. Chelsea, take it away. Yeah. So you know, Price, with all honesty, um, I don't know exactly who our next week's guest is going to be, and that is because, as you know, I have been recording these babies at a really fast clip. So it used to be I would do the previous week. Um, I would do this week's the previous week, right? Yep. So the episode dropping today, I would um, I would record it the week before. Sometimes that does, doesn't always work, and you know we're doing it at the last minute and stuff. But anyway, regardless, we've been doing them really fast. And so now I feel like let's just take a step back and see what makes the most sense. So I really want to be smart about how we roll these out. So coordinating with planning and uh, so on and so forth. So I tell the listeners, you will know when I know. <laughs> we will be sure to program uh, to, to let folks know if you get our weekend review. It'll be um, posted there this Friday if you have to know ahead of time. But maybe it'll just be a nice surprise next Tuesday when you get that little ding on your phone that the latest episode is live. Folks, she is one of the hardest, if not the hardest working person in the podcast business she is constantly working to deliver, find guests, record with guests, make schedules work, make it all happen right here on the Eco Right Speaks. That is Chelsea Henderson, your host. Aww, give her you're a, so kind. Give her applause right here. We'll, we'll, we'll drop that uh, applause <laughs> line in. But Chelsea, let's go ahead and get out of here because we got to get to work on next week's episode and let's go do that right now. But until then, we will see you next week and appreciate everybody listening. All right. Thanks, Price. I'll see you next week. Go Red Sox. 
Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco right leader.